0: Amen. So hymns of hope, hymns of hope. So we are, if you're not familiar with what we're doing this Christmas, we are diving into some of our favorite Christmas hymns. Um, And so this week is uh, the Christmas candle, actually, um, the Bethlehem candle is actually what we light today. And it's actually the, the, um, the, the, the day of the advent of hope, right? I mean, no, that was last week. Faith, we talked about hope last week. So um, I want to give you a little bit of background. So what I've been actually enjoying for the last two weeks is diving into these hymns. Um, as, if you don't know, I am a big, I love hymns. I love old, um, I love old hymns. All, many of these hymnals are mine. I, I collect like hymnals and that kind of thing. And I love to read um, hymns and I love to read uh, the, um, uh, the theology in the hymns. I love to hear what old, older saints said about the gospel and what they believed. And so amazing that through the ages that we still are worshiping the same way, the same God, the same Jesus, and the same things about the gospel we celebrate is what they celebrated years ago. So this one last week, we 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 talked about a hymn that was the probably one of the oldest hymns that we sing. Uh, this one's a little bit newer. And, um, and actually, um, this is a kind of different one because this one was actually originated in the United States. So this is actually was uh, born out of uh, the Philadelphia in that Boston kind of area, this guy. Um, so we'll talk about this. So during the Civil War, um, there was a chaplain that no, actually it wasn't a chaplain. He was just preaching and he would go and preach the troops and that kind of thing. But he was a, um, a, a man by the name of Phillips Brooks. So he was a pastor during the Civil War and then after the Civil War. Um, and then so around the end of the Civil War, he was a big Uh, He would, he was, he was a guy who was uh, definitely a, um, a a northern preacher guy. And he was very much, he preached uh, adamantly against slavery. And he um, preached um, freedom and uh, to people. And uh, he was an amazing, amazing guy. But um, pastoring during the Civil War and then um, after that, especially the um, assassination of Lincoln, it it had a big toll on me. It really affected him in a major way. So he took two years off and traveled. One of the places he went to was Jerusalem. And, um, and on in his travels in Jerusalem in about 1866, that kind of area at time, 1865, 1866, somewhere around, around the area, he travels to Jerusalem, gets on a horse and rides his horse from Jerusalem to Bethlehem. And in his travels, he, I tell you, it's fascinating. You should read these guys. It's amazing. So in his, as he's traveling, he gets to Bethlehem and he gets to um, the area um, where um, they say the shepherds were in the fields and all that. And all of a sudden, the spirit of God just comes on him, and all starts 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 just because um, he's kind of needed, needed some restoration, right? And so God's restoring him. as he rides across those fields in Bethlehem, and then he goes into the church of the Nativity, and then like he has this encounter with God. In a major and the, so this trip to Bethlehem radically affects his life in such amazing way. He has an encounter with God, and he writes about it often in in his writings about what happened there in in Bethlehem. That so it profoundly affected him. So two years later, he's pastoring pastoring his church, and um, two years later, they're doing a uh, Christmas service. And actually it's December twenty-seventh, they were having a Christmas service. December twenty-seventh, so he beforehand, he sits he sets out to write a song for the kids to sing that Christmas, on that Christmas service. And so he sits down and he pens out, um, he pens out these words, O little town of Bethlehem, how still we see thee lie. Above thy deep and dreaming dreamless sleep, the silent stars go by. Yet in the dark street shineth the everlasting light. The hopes and fears of all the years are met in thee tonight. And then he would later write, and this later on in the song, he says, Oh, come to us, abide with us, our Lord Emmanuel. And he would write that song and he would pen this song like, I think he wrote it like a month before the Christmas service and and he gave it to his, this funny part of the story. He gave it to his, um, the, the piano player or whatever, whatever their organist or musician, or whatever they call him, um, the guy who played the keys. And he gave it to him to write some music to it. And so different things I read say different things. Some people said he procrastinated. Some people, he said he was in a writer's block. Some people said it was divine appointment. I choose to believe that one, poor guy. Um, so the night before the Christmas service, God wakes them up in the middle of the night and gives them the tune that we sing today. And gave it to. Him. Um, can you imagine? Like, I was imagining the logistics of that the next morning. So you guys who were like like Emily, Eric, you guys go like, no, 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 Here's the music. Sing it like this, kids. Like right. So, um. So it's really it's really a fascinating. So this song is really fascinating, right? So. Let's dive in to talk about this little town of Bethlehem. And I have, I'm so actually thrilled about this message. I think it's going to help us this morning. Amen. Luke chapter two, verse one, familiar Christmas scripture. It says, in those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that the whole empire should be registered. The first registration took place while, uh, whatever his name is, what's the name? thing you said? Huh? Quirinius, I'm sure that's the way they called him, was governing Syria, so everyone went out to be registered, each to his own town. Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee uh, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was in the house in the family line of David, to be registered along with Mary, who was engaged uh, to him and was pregnant. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. We're going to stop right there, and I want to just I want us just to take our religious glasses off and put some real real view and see this story for what it might have been. I, I can only imagine. We talked about this a little bit last week, but I can only imagine. So we talked about last week that so, so Mary is visited by the angel. It says, oh, by the way, you're pregnant. This is going to cause some problems. And so Mary finds out she's pregnant. And then actually she gives this most, one of the most amazing, I was going to read it and had to edit my message out a little bit. But it's one of the most amazing hymns and what she says in her heart of this faith. Like, so God, God, as you have said it, let it be to me according to your word. Right? Amazing. So, so Mary, and then, I mean, can, like, let's just break it down. Can you imagine Mary who's engaged with Joseph, like, going, hey, uh, Joseph's got the news? Now we're pregnant. I'm pregnant. And it was by God. Yeah. Ex- right. I mean, can we just talk about this for a minute? Like, right. Right. It's from God. So, um, the scripture says that Joseph, being a decent man, said to me, I'm going to divorce you privately. Like, this is over, right? But let's process this. This is over, Mary. We're, we're, we're going to, but I'm a decent man. I'm not going to put you to open shame, but we're going to, where this marriage is off, right? So when you were engaged back in that day, um, the engagement was actually as you had to actually do the whole divorce process, right? So Joseph has a dream and God speaks to him in a dream and said, hey, don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife because of what is inside her has been birthed by the Holy Spirit. So Joseph wakes up. (laughs) And so... They travel, so there's a census. They travel to Bethlehem. Okay. Bethlehem is about 90 miles away, probably a four-day journey. So Joseph is walking next to Mary. Like, really, the only person who really knows is Mary. Right? Mary knows. Joseph had a vision and a dream, yeah. But you don't think Joseph was walking by Mary going four days, 90 miles, going, God, are you sure Like, come on, right? We all have our thoughts, right? We all have the same enemy, the same enemy that was then, that still works now, the same enemy that speaks lies, he speaks to them. So think about this idea. I am like, just walking, not saying anything. I remember this. I'll just tell you this story. I remember when Julie and I got married. We, um, we actually, we didn't know each other a really long time before we got married. And um, <laughs> and so uh, we got married. Got married in St. Louis. Drove to Gatlinburg. Had our um, honeymoon in between Pigeon Forge and Gatlinburg. The kind of the area up on a mountain. The whole thing. And um, so one of the days, we decide to go into Gatlinburg, and we're going into Gatlinburg, and we ride a one of those ski lifts up to the top of the mountain. And I'll never forget this. Never forget this. I'm in the, um, and it'd be interesting to hear how many spouses, after you've been married, you may have thought the same thing. We're on this ski lift, and I'm literally sitting with her next to her, and I'm looking at her going, I'm mean, I like, come on. You guys are so holy in here. You guys are better than me. I remember going, this is, I mean, this is like uh, forever. Me and her, like forever. And then like at night, I'd wake up and i go, huh, this is forever. I mean, I probably should have thought this all the way through before we got married. Thank God, I married Julie. She's amazing, and we're we endeavor to live a godly marriage, and treat each other godly, so it works. We and you obviously know I I just adore my wife, but even in that, there's these doubts that creep up. There's this thing like, Did I marry the right one? Did I do the right thing? So I put myself in Joseph, and go, and Joseph's like. Huh. But Joseph, it's amazing, the story of Joseph in this story. His faith to believe and in Mary to trust and keep walking. Can you imagine? I mean, the Bible doesn't tell us, but can you imagine the, the, the scorn that she probably felt? Like, oh, yeah, yeah they, like they're sitting around talking as they're doing their, Laundry and out in the open, and all the women around talking, they're saying, Hey, yeah, uh, you know, Mary's right. She says it from God. Shh, here she comes. Like, can you imagine? Humans are humans. We just are. So Mary goes, and uh, actually, before that, Mary goes, and there's little glimpses along the way for Mary that as she goes and visits, so she Here's from the angel. She goes and visits um, Elizabeth, her relative, and Elizabeth gives her this word, confirms the word that's already been spoken to her. But what about Joseph? It's interesting. I never saw this until I studied it this, this week. Is that when Joseph? Think about this. So we we look at the so we go fast forward into Bethlehem. Mary's had the baby. And they're sitting around, and you know, it is what it is. There's a baby in a feeding trough, and can you imagine Joseph like going, "Really, like, like, like the King of all," and literally like, there's no place to stay. Like, God, are you kidding me? Like, do you not know, like, Mary, you said that she's carrying the King of Kings, right? You said that the Messiah is right here, and literally, there's no place to stay for the King. Like, God, have you abandoned me? Come on. It seems like this should be working better than it is working. But they find themselves around this feeding trough with the baby in this feeding trough. And all of a sudden, these shepherds show up. And the shepherds are like wide-eyed, kind of freaking out. They go, you do not know what we just saw. We didn't just see a angel. We saw a whole sky lit up with angels talking about this baby. And something in Joseph must be I said, I needed that. I needed that word. I needed that encouragement today. I needed, cause this is a big deal. I needed that encouragement. And maybe I don't want to mess up your manger scene, but in a few days later, <laughs> Some, 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 a few days, whatever. Yeah, well, however long it was, a long time. I mean, sorry to say, your your kings were not in the manger stall, right? These guys show up and go, "Hey, we've been following this star forever, and we have come because this star represents that this king is born." So along the way, there's these confirmation that God gives them that reminds them of the promise of what they're having in front of them. That Jesus, the Messiah, really was born of a virgin. They did raise him up. So all of those difficulties, all those trials. So let's fast forward to Phillips Brooks, who's pastoring a church during the most traumatic time it was. I just wanted to say it was worse than COVID. Uh, the Civil War. People say it's never been this bad. Oh, okay. All right. All right. Civil War. Pretty bad. the The Civil War is going. He's pastoring a church. Actually, probably saying controversial things. The stress and the he's worn out travels to this place, Bethlehem, and has an encounter with God. Because there's something about God that meets us even in our unbelief. There's something about God who even meets us in times of doubt and insecurity and and worry. He would write, can you imagine, so when he writes that in his tough times, in the dark street shineth the everlasting light. In the darkest moments of uh, uh, Philip Brooks' life, that that light, the eternal light still shines. The hopes and fears from all the years. Like, if you look at it from his perspective, he's talking about like civil war and all the stuff that goes on before. them. the hopes and fears of all of the years are met in him, not, and it's this, this idea, it's this two-fold meaning of it was met in, in Bethlehem in that night. But Phyllis Brooks would say it's always, it's also met in me now. The hopes and fears are in all the years are met in God, in me. The darkness of my life has been lit up by what happened in Bethlehem. And actually, Bethlehem means like bread, the house of bread. Jesus being born, the bread of life, the life giver. That's great for Joseph and Mary. That's great. Charge on, Phillips Brooks. What about us? How do we handle it when we go through those tough times? When our faith is assaulted. And our faith is, is um, how do we handle when we go and our circumstances doesn't look like what we hope for? Things are different than what we hope for. How do we persevere? How do we have faith? Okay, let's, hear, let's get an interesting verse, James chapter 1, verse 2. Y'all ready to be challenged this morning to be good? James says this. He says, consider it a great joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you experience various trials. Nope, 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 right? Really? Joy. Consider it joy. Because you know that the testing of your faith produces endurance. And let endurance has it have its full effect, so that you may be mature and complete and lacking nothing. So as I was studying this scripture, it, this, this, there's a couple of words that Pulled out to me or illuminated to me. And it's this word consider. Consider it. That has this idea of that I'm going to have to take some information. Put it together. And think about it. Some maybe some uh, opposing thinking. And consider those things. And think about those things. And ponder those things. Actually, it says about Mary that when she saw all the things she said, she considered and pondered all of these things in her heart. He says, consider it great joy so that you can sit down during the middle of your trial, the middle of your difficulty, and consider some things. Consider it. Actually, what he says is, consider it joy. Not even consider your faith. He says, consider it joy because, watch this, because, and then the other word, because, why are we going to consider it joy? Because you know that the testing of your faith produces endurance. We have a couple of teachers in here. And you guys love tests, don't you? No, 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 no. Testing. So I want to make, I want to dive into this word especially. This word test is an interesting word. Like when we think about test. We consider it because we all went through um, our, either your home school or private school. You had a test, public school, whatever you went. And you consider, when you think about tests, you think pass or fail. Isn't it right? I, I took a test and I passed it or failed it. So many times we take that idea and bring it into our faith walk and say, oh, I didn't pass it. I'm a, I am a fail cure, right? That's the incorrect way to see this what the scripture is. He says the testing of your faith produces endurance. So the testing, so another word for test is a better word. It's called an examination. Really, when you test something, teachers, help me, the three teachers here, I'm, oh the four teachers here. I forgot the balcony back there in the back. Um, that, that when you test, what are you trying to do? You're trying to find out. What is in your students? Am I right? That all the stuff that they have learned, is it? Can they pull it out? Right. So it's more of a path, less than a pass or fail than it is an examination. That examination. So what does a trial do? How many of y'all have gone through trials and you went, "Wow, I can see something about my faith." That that trial examines what's in here. That trial, that difficulty, that stuff that we go through, it examines what's in here. So when we are, when trials hit, difficulties hit, and let me say let me just say, um, actually, uh, Phyllis Brooks says this. He says, don't pray for an easy life. He said, pray to be stronger. So that the powers, the power of God will grow bigger on the inside of you. So don't pray that things will be easy. Pray that God's power will look strong in you, then be strong men and women. That's the truth, right? I, I don't know what gospel that you've heard, but there is some there's thinking out there that everything is just going to be, just believe in Jesus, everything's going to be all hunky-dory and wonderful and great. That's called heaven. That's called heaven. Jesus said, like, um, in this world, you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer because I have overcome the world. So there's this idea. So when trials come, it's an examination of your own heart. Here's the rub. What do you do with that? What do you do with that revelation of the attitude in the place of your heart? Of doubt, All of a sudden you go, maybe some bills come, maybe some difficulties come, and immediately you go into despair. You want to withdraw. You want to go to, you know, well, it's like it always happens. Nothing ever good happens to me. That should, what that examination should do is challenge you. Because God's grace is so great. He allows you to retest. He doesn't say that that test is your final score. He says that's an examination of your heart so that I can mold you and rule in you the thing that you lack. The information that you don't have, the idea, the thing that's been examined and been revealed are things that God says, I want to work in those and fix those. Because the testing of your faith produces endurance. So it depends on what you do with the revealed nature of your own heart. So the good news is that God has given us ways to build up our faith. I've I've said it so many times from this. The pulpit, like the, the story of um, Abraham and Sarah. The Bible says in, in, in um, Hebrews chapter 11 that Sarah received strength to conceive because she considered him faithful. Oh, considered him. Set down, considered him to be faithful. This, this is the same woman when she heard the promises of God that was laughing. Huh? I'm like 90 years old. Nothing like this ain't happening. But somewhere along the laughing in the tent, to being in Hebrews eleven, who's called a woman of great faith, something switched. So just because you start out in unbelief doesn't mean you have to stay there. That just because you have that moment of unbelief doesn't mean that you have to stay there. Joseph didn't have that thought. On the, I don't know. Yeah, not in the Bible. But if he did, if he had that thought while he was on that journey, he just got out, Mary, I'm gone. He didn't do that. Stuck with her. I know there's some things turning. Maybe Joseph was thinking, I know there's some things turning on the inside of me. I'm I'm with her. I choose to believe. I don't know what Joseph did to make him stay and walk those 90 miles. But something on the inside of him. And then Man, isn't it so good when the shepherds show up in your life? Isn't it so good when God reminds you of some promises? Man, isn't it so great when maybe you're praying with somebody and maybe somebody has a word for you? In the right moment, in the right time, or that whatever that thing that kind of tweaks your heart happens in the middle of you, you know that God is with you. See, God is so good that he does that kind of stuff for us. Endurance. Endurance. It's doing what needs to be done, even though you don't see the results. Endurance. It's doing what needs to be done, even when you don't see the results. Because why do you need endurance if everything's just working out great? I don't need to practice endurance. So what does that endurance look like? Church? You going through your difficulty, this time, this season of your life, maybe you're going through, uh, maybe, it's a, maybe it's a job you hate. Maybe it's a uh, financial difficulty. But whatever it is, you know what I encourage you to do? Keep praying. Keep praying. Jesus said he tells the parable, and he says, I tell this par- parable so that you will pray and not think Keep praying. Keep praying. Keep keep speaking God's word. Keep being people of the word of God. God's word is true. Whether I see it or I don't see it, God's word is true. One of my favorite stories, um, I can't recall his name off the top of my head, but it's the story of a guy who ran the orphanage. He ran completely out of food. Thank you, Mueller. Ran completely out of food. So the kids are getting up, or maybe it was the afternoon or whatever. No food in the place. All these kids in the orphanage. You know what he did? God's going to provide. So what does he do? He gets all the kids. Come on, kids, we're going to eat. Put the plates in front of them all. Come on, kids, we're going to eat. True story. All the kids get around to eat, empty plates. All of a sudden, there's a knock on the door. They go to the door. Somebody is there. I can't remember the whole story off the top of my head. I thought about it in a while. Opens the door. And there's a guy there with all the food that they needed for that for that meal. Just by faith. Just trusting God. Just doing whatever they're supposed to be. Just do it. Just keep keep on doing. That's endurance and working it. Keep doing it. I got a bad report of the doctor. Just keep going. Don't despair. Don't despair. Don't give up. Keep speaking God's word. God will provide. According to his word, he will provide. Keep worshiping. I worship. How many stories of, of saints of old? One of the things I love about saints of old is, oh, let me just say this. As I was, I was reading this week, I, I realized that there's a understanding as I read scripture, that things are tough. You ever read that? You ever notice that in the scriptures whenever you read? There's just like underlying understanding that things are tough. That hasn't changed. So keep worshiping. Keep honoring God. Keep church. Keep coming to church. Keep fellowshipping with believers, people around you. Let me just say, in our day, As people are leaving the church and people are telling you, telling, have this understanding that church is just kind of one of those things I do. Like that is so we have to be people as the times get darker, they're getting darker in our nation. As the times get darker, and people, and when I mean when I say darker, it means people are walking away from the faith. As we see those times, what does the Bible tell us to do? Keep gathering together. Keep reminding, like when I see Rex show up and worshiping God, I'm like, oh, there's somebody else who loves God. Because I've gone all week, and all I've heard is nonsense with my coworkers and people around me. I come to church and get refreshed, not because of a preacher or some songs, let like we do that, but it's because of the brothers and sisters in the room. You, don't, you realize you don't come to church just for you. You come to church as a gathering together of like-minded faith people to build each other up, encourage one another, keep doing what you know to be doing. John says this, I mean, uh, well, John, uh, in Revelation, it says this. It says Jesus, when he says that their their hearts have turned away, they they become cold, Jesus says this. He says, do the things that you used to do. If your heart has grown cold, do the things that you used to. And remember, lastly, that your faith is in God. And that seems so obvious. It seems so, of course, I have faith in God. Mark eleven twenty-two says Jesus replied to them and said, have faith in God. We have to be careful that this idea of faith and trusting God doesn't become religious. And religion. How about carefully navigate this in twelve minutes? Oh, oh, yeah, this is a perfect If, if, if your reaction to issues and problems isn't a heart posture toward God. And it's just some um, things that you just learned along the way of what to do. Like even in confessing the word. It can be just some kind of mental gymnastics. But your faith has to be in God. My hope is in him. So when you wake up in the middle of the night and you're worried. Should you pray? Yes, you should pray. But maybe your prayer is something like this. As you're laying in the bed, and all these thoughts you're going through in your mind, and you're like, I'm not doing double Jesus' name? All those things, right? It's got immediate spiritual warfare, which is good. We should do those things. But maybe switch it a little bit. Maybe you do all those things, and maybe you say, For God, I know that you love me. In the quietness of your heart, God, my hope and my faith is in you, God. I trust in you, my God. It's in you that I find my hope. And I thank you for the authority that you've given me. But God, ultimately, I have faith in you because I've considered you faithful. That is promised. I want to challenge you this morning. He is faithful. I'll hold another long quote. I'm not going to read it. Wow, worshiping once you come up, the singers just come up. We're going to take communion. And I can't think of a better time to take take communion after a message like this, right? I I want you two things I want you to know. First of all, that just because you start off in doubt doesn't mean you have to stay there. And God has given you the ability by his word, by the Holy Spirit himself, to be your comforter. To be your father. He didn't choose these words just out of him. Jesus calls himself a fellow brother. He's glad to have a big brother Jesus. Let's all stand together. Yet in the dark street. And your dark times shine. In God's everlasting light. I want you to personalize the hopes and fears of all of your teachers are met in Jesus. And God, we thank you. We honor you. Thank you, Father, as we take communion together as a family, Father, I pray that you will uh, just come and remind us. Holy Spirit, we welcome you to speak. In Jesus' name. Thank you, guys. Awesome. So the way we do communion, if it's your first time doing communion with us, what we're going to do is we're going to come down from the middle. We're going to come from the middle. And uh, you'll come down, take your elements, and then go back along the sides. And uh, and we're all going to take it together. So this is an open community. If you're a believer, uh, if you would like to uh, take communion, You're welcome to do that with us this morning. Amen. Go ahead.